0: hello everyone welcome back to the edge and flow podcast i'm here with lucas burnley and in this podcast we talk about knives we talk about making knives designing knives we talk about cnc machines art design lifestyle anything that could have anything to do with uh the things we do on a daily basis we cut a broad swath yeah yeah (laughs) that's for sure how's it going man it's going good. Uh, we were briefly going to dive into something before we started recording, which is simply described as a rat's nest. And both of us had a week of uh, rat's nest or at least a day. Uh, so I like ahead. basically just skid into my chair as we were starting to,
1: you know, record. Let's I, am, about it. I am very elevated right now. Dude, it's just one of those days. I got up super early and went straight into CAD because I ran into a mistake last night. Blew my bedtime. I know this is like it's going deep. Uh decided to just stop while I was ahead, got up this morning, and I've basically spent the day chasing that problem and trying to figure it out. I've sent you two messages. Um, in the middle of that, I had to take my truck into the shop. And this is a new one on me. I jump started it a while back and apparently blew out a steering sensor. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to sell my truck and right now I'm very mad. Uh, (laughs) That's like just like one of these like cascading. The cold weather
0: killed the battery or.
1: Yeah. So I'd, I'd never seen this, but cold weather killed the battery. It was starting super weak. Finally died. Jump started it. Okay. Drove it. Didn't charge. Had to jump it again. What the tech thinks is that that second jump on a fully dead battery basically just like blasts through no resistance and is able to fry this sensor. He's like, we don't know why it happens. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens enough that we, we thought that this might be what it is. They've noticed it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's like, we've jumped,
1: we've jumped cars on the lot before and had it happen. And we don't know if it was the, if the the customer had done it before, or if we did it right then, he's like, but basically a thousand dollar fix yeah
0: yeah just enough to be like <clears throat> is it is it the clocking sensor on the steering it, wheel
1: it i don't even he didn't even say so i don't uh no. angle, angle like yeah so basically yeah, like a like a clocking i replaced uh, that
0: on my old wrangler i had to do that Oh, uh, dude
1: very yeah. frustrating yeah um, <laughs> i just want this truck gone now i'm very yeah. mad because i love it and so it's yeah. like a double double whammy
0: yeah, yeah. um
1: yeah, and we get to k- pick the kids up from school early today because of inclement weather. So it's just one of those like yeah. can't quite get my footing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. What, what about you, you? Uh, well, I replaced the battery in my Jeep this week. And that nice. was part of my rat's nest. Same same situation. Especially it's a diesel, and a diesel in minus five degrees. Uh, mm. the battery's already on its like heels, and then it just wasn't able to turn a, a diesel engine over anymore and it was only a 2 month old battery uh because i had a same exact thing that you just described which is that the only issue i've had with my jeep is there was one wire that got burnt on the exhaust cuz it was just allowed to be too close when they built the thing mm. and so now it's fixed but when that happened it killed the battery down to 0 voltage and then when we jump started it this was months a couple months ago when we jump started it it started to fry some stuff and so it went to the dealership blah 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 so i can relate to you in other words but they put the exact
1: same that sounds like the exact same thing
0: they put a new battery in it two months ago and they they at that time didn't realize that that it was there was a parasitic short that was killing the Mm -hmm. battery so the other battery got sent to zero voltage like twice after that and then they fixed the wire so i had this like limp battery for the last two months and the cold weather knocked it out So I bought like a high-end, like yellow top Optima battery. And yeah, that was my week. So that's funny that we had a a battery.
1: (laughs) You know, what's funny is that like, did you ever wrench on your cars when you were younger? Did you have
0: cars? Like, did you drive old cars? Uh, I had a 1982 Trans Am that I did some wrenching on. Yeah. You are like
1: for probably the first 10 years of vehicle ownership, like I never went to a mechanic. I did everything myself Mm. and like ridiculous things like, oh, I've got a, honda civic and i'm gonna replace the subframe and like crazy like just like crazy things like no Mm. you know i mean like little things like changing timing belts and doing all of that at this point i don't do it don't have the space to do it but when stuff like this happens i get so mad and i'm like i want to do it and then i realize like i like i wouldn't even know what i'm doing now anyway because
0: it's not a you know 1990 honda civic i know 1982 trans am was pretty pretty uh Dude. simple to work on
1: <laughs> compared
0: uh, to nowadays yeah
1: cv joints change clutches yeah. like everything and just like no option other than to do it like oh i burnt my clutch out in my crx like all right let's do it It yep. didn't even occur to me to like to go to someone
0: yeah just yeah, get
1: yeah. my hanes manual and like go to work yeah okay no we keep having these conversations around like shop space we get like almost two feet of snow in like a day I'd shoveled, I think three or four times from, you know, like when we got up to like when we went to sleep and I'm like, man, a snowblower would be rad.
0: Yeah.
1: And the way that my brain works, it's like, cool. If you add another thousand square foot building, like then you can have a snowblower and I'm like, we need a new, we need a new house. (laughs) Like, yeah, cause I want to keep this truck and I want a snowblower. So let's move. It's,
0: It's a slippery slope. It is it is yeah we got not that much snow because we're super low elevation for idaho where we're at and but we still got like a total of a push in i don't know 10 inches that's real yeah same storm yeah yeah we're, getting, blanketed we're the same the whole storms northwest i mean everywhere is uh socked in but yeah sc- snow days for for days mm. but that brings me uh to another topic which Light is something that distracted me majorly today. And that is I met the landlord and signed the lease on the new shop space. So mm-hmm. yeah. This Congratulations. Is, thank you. That is major. Yeah. It should help. Should help. Slightly. Yeah. It's it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit different moving forward, I think. So
1: what are we talking about? What is the current square footage that you have? Uh, 300
0: current 3,000. Upgrade.
1: 10X game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not bad.
0: Yeah. And I will say, uh, we are I'm sharing the shop with my Seracoder. SRG armament, his name's Steven. And it's so just he's, getting better. Yeah. So he's taken twenty five percent of that square footage for his he has a full paint booth that's like completely framed in and sealed. And he has like his ovens and stuff and his like racks. So that's where one corner is gonna be. So it's like he's gonna be seracoding our stuff. So, it's like the perfect person to uh, kind of share a shop with. What a yes great me. start to the new year. Yeah. That, I oh, was so
1: excited. Okay. 3,000 square feet. When's the move? Or when uh, does so it
0: start? February 1st. So, I got 12 days. Um, it's like the other guy's out and Steven's already in there. He, the guy that moved out was sharing it with him. So, I'm just replacing. So, it's not like that we know the other tenant and I can just go in and start doing stuff whenever I want. Nice. Um, but, I'm probably just going to start doing some like power and air lines and some things that are just preparatory over the next probably two weeks. Snow is definitely not going to allow us to do any real like rigging for a minute. Um, so hopefully February, the, the, we get a couple of warm days and the roads get a little clear and then we can do some moving, but it's, it's actually kind of ideal because just what
1: you said, you can run airlines, run extra electric if you need Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. That is the stuff that a lot of times gets put off for the sake of urgency. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's yeah. nice inside work.
0: Yeah, and the shop, the one of the biggest blessings about it is how well it's like climate controlled. Mm-hmm. It's natural gas heat, which is like the best possible scenario um that's in amazing. this area. It's like the absolute cheapest possible scenario. Mm-hmm. Um and it uh it's 3000 square feet, it's got I don't know, 14 foot, 15 foot ceiling, something like that. And the entire thing, it was minus five degrees. When I walked over there at daylight, I went in there. It was 70 degrees in every corner of the shop through every, like just the whole thing, just natural gas. So super fortunate for that. It's pretty good. Yeah, dude. So we, I feel like we talked about this a little bit.
1: What's your do you have a strategy yet? Like as far as what are you going to do is the goal to get in and get back up and running as quickly as possible. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be like, what are you going to do? Like how, how are you going to do that?
0: So our shop is set up currently where the only way to rig the machines out is to have everything else out because they're in the back of the shop. Nice. Um, so we'll schedule a rigger. Once we can see a clear weather patch, we'll schedule a rigger Uh, Hopefully for a Friday, if that works, and then we'll spend easily one day prior to the rigger easily. We could move everything else. We could probably move everything else in half a day, a few hours, honestly, Um, and get everything out from in front of the machines, get it just staged in the shop where it needs to be roughly. And then machines go back. Power should hook up within a matter of hours because the panel, it's the machine's going to sit right in front of the panel. Three phase power so we'll hook it up um i think we i'm pretty optimistic we won't even lose like a whole entire week like we'll be able to phase in at least parts of production obviously there's gonna be tons of squeaky wheels all over the place for like at least a couple months in terms of fully optimizing but um there's not a lot to do to get at least the important things going so are you gonna um, recreate your shop in the shop it is a little bit that way actually um so there it's i think i said before it's it's got a bunch of uh posts in it it's like it's got beams with like wood Mm -hmm. posts coming down so there's a a section that's going to be the machine shop and so the machine shop is going to be the current footprint of my current entire shop so the machine shop is dedicated and the orientation of it is going to be the same as what it is right now except there will now be a space for a third machine eventually. So that'll be allocated. And then the dirty room is going to be removed from that area and placed in a separate bay. So we're going to compress everything to the minimum square footage we can possibly use and still have the expandability where necessary. So we're we're basically going to be in the corner is how it's going to look that's
1: ideal though because then your machine your Machines are where they need to be, and you just remove things as you gain efficiency yeah. and new machines.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's it. The scalability. I know every. It, I know it's like easy to use up more square footage than you initially think. But mm-hmm. this, I've just done a bunch of sketching on like graphing paper. Like the amount, the amount that could fit in that room. That dude, that's is, a huge amount of space. It, it's. We would have to increase our output by yeah. like ten x to That's need huge. that much room. Yeah. We
1: our last shop was twenty four hundred square feet. It might as well have been like a football field. Yeah, like it was cavernous. Like yeah. I could even park my truck in it. You know, like yeah, that is amazing. Okay, so.
0: what's the first machine on the list? Uh, so very first machine, Sile X nine okay um i'm gonna have to get settled into the shop get some uh ultimately i'm i, I want to see how this lt5 launches that's that's kind of an x factor of like mm-hmm. what the next moves are uh, i want to get a bow on that before we consider like a po for a machine but the x9 uh, it's starting to feel pretty urgent actually um so i think uh pretty soon we will try to think about going that direction reach out to titan yeah right
1: it's pretty nice you forget like with social media like watching him post in the style group on facebook it it really is one degree of separation yeah yeah, whether the answer or not is like a thing but he's actively hustling like getting those machines up and running yeah yeah so that's pretty cool you can like open up a door
0: the x factor is that the x9 is a new machine Mm -hmm. and they have not been delivered to the u.s yet or anywhere in the world i don't think so that's the X factor here. Is that's the machine I want, and I don't know when I can get one. So I need to start that conversation. But yeah, might as well. Yeah. Um, so does that mean, like, at this point, I guess, you, like, who you
1: bought the style from, round one, is no longer the contact point, probably. Uh,
0: yeah. Or so the guy Wesley is the mm-hmm. guy down in Houston. Um, I talked to a sales guy, um, named Jeff. I'm not. Sh- I haven't. I haven't reached out to Jeff, but I know Wesley Wang. He's the guy that is in Houston that kind of runs like U.S. operations for Sile. Okay. He I know is working with Titan, so he's still the guy, and I can still reach out to him at least. But yeah, I need to rekindle that, and possibly now that the shop is set in stone. This uh, this ball might start to roll, um, but yeah, that'd be cool. Super exciting. Yeah, yeah. And then we talked about it on the phone earlier today, but it's it's ironic because you mentioned it in the last episode I've been like allergic to the idea of ever owning a water jet um -hmm. I'm becoming less allergic really quickly Mm -hmm. so that's definitely very far in second place behind having another mill but it's definitely on the radar so yeah but I don't
1: I don't uh, as a need it's far behind because you have a resource to do it Mm mm-hmm but the resource bothers you.
0: Yeah, it, it's like well, it's paying economics. rent versus paying a mortgage. Exactly, it's economics. they both
1: work. They both work, and and at yeah. the end of the day, like depending on what you do with the rest of your money, it doesn't matter. You're using someone else's resource. Yeah, but like psychologically, I think it comes into play.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, I have a quality water water jet resource. Uh, like you said, it's not it's not like bringing it in-house would change anything right. in our process. It's just if we do enough product, the tipping point gets far enough economically yeah. that you it's just basic math. The would ex- that
1: necessitate another employee or would the two of you guys be able to handle? I mean, again, now you have increased output, so it starts yeah. to be kind of chicken or the egg.
0: Yeah. So we'll have to have at least part-time help pretty soon yeah. um, because we haven't been able, we've been kind of limping with only just him and I with Dalton and I, because we just physically have that much space. Um, mm-hmm. so now, I mean, basically the three like key directions are, like I said, the new mill, some part-time help, part-time help, and the water jet. That's what's like on my radar, but the, I'd say the water jets distant and the other two are like, yeah, I would say starting to become more immediate exciting i they think get...
1: i don't remember if we talked about this or not but i think i'm going to use i think i'm going to use a Sile as a dopamine reward which sounds crazy okay. Okay. but basically that will be my reward for streamlining a new in-house model i think that's pretty reasonable mm-hmm. my haas is a 2007 i'm i like i run into limitations at this point when i'm building folders with like you know, I've got 10 tools and a mm-hmm. 6,000 RPM spindle. Like I can do everything I need to do, but I look and I'm like, ah, "It would be cool to have more tools, you know, and yeah. a little, I actually don't need as big of a work envelope. We were going over sizes on them and it's like, dude, the X five is basically, I think you compared it to like a refrigerator,
0: like yeah. a narrow refrigerator. It's 39 inches wide, That's which is basically bananas. three feet. Yeah. Three feet.
1: Yeah. I think in the space of my Haas, which is a TM1P, I think I could almost fit an X5 and an X7, which that ultimately, like, seeing seeing how you're running two spindles now really kind of opened my eyes to the efficiency around that. And I was always like, eh, one is good, like... and but it was never numbers based. Mm-hmm. And even at this point, like even if I still stay in like a little bit more of like a prototype, like slash, like sprint run kind of mode, I think two spindles is a really good yeah plan. So yeah. I think yeah. that's it. And it gives me something else to like
0: learn. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on,
1: you know, for sure. For
0: sure. Yeah. No, they're, they're great. I'm bad. Good luck doing it.
1: Speaking of which, uh, we're at next stage. So for CAD, Mm -hmm. I have completed my project. I'm going to ask you to review it. Basically, I want to go over it and make sure that I didn't create any like hidden fatal flaws, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is basically what I thought I did and spent today and yesterday trying to solve. Um, I still have one thing. It's weird. It's like all of a sudden, one of the component drawings is detached. So mm-hmm. when I save my assembly file, it's not updating my mm. scale file. Mm. So I'm going to pull on you for that. Okay. But what that means is I need to know what the next step is. Like, I know what it would, I know where I would go working Rhino in my current process, but I don't know where to go fusion mm-hmm. to fixture to piercing. Yeah.
0: Like it's yeah. all new to me. Yeah. Well, the Pearson style formula is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a good combo. That's the double.
1: Yeah. Okay. Wait, is there a third tool in there that's really important? So you have Pearson. What's the what's your tooling plate?
0: Uh, I don't use one anymore. Like I don't use one anymore. Here's here's the I will say this big catch on the style, the uh, like Saunders style plates and yeah. like real low slung fixtures. Um, mm-hmm. so if, like it's not a vice or if it's not a Pearson, mm-hmm. the machine like can't reach the table. It's the minimum dimension between where the spindle can go and the table is like six and a half inches. Oh, and interesting. On a, and on a BT 30, uh, holder, they're not generally very long. And like, if you put like a fixture plate on there and you just put like a pallet, like straight on the table, it just, mm-hmm. without like some real long reach holders, they it won't reach. You won't be able to do it.
1: That's wild. Yeah. But I mean, if you had, if you, you so you don't use the Saunders plate as a base for your
0: Pearson? So I still have my plate. for. Yeah. I did buy a Saunders plate for the Sile, kind of without realizing the situation. And the Pearson mounts directly to it. And that is handy, but- But the, not necessary. The one downside to a plate especially an aluminum plate on steel is you're going to rust the table. Like yeah. the table is going to degrade because of the plate being on it. Yeah, And sometimes that's a sacrifice you're willing to make. If I'm not using the plate for any reason, th- then I'm not going to like damage my table for just to have it there. Yeah. So I removed it and put the Pearson straight on the table, which with a style, like, i pretty much skip the plate like pretty much in all cases. That makes sense. Yeah, I was
1: I was trying to make a comparison between like the tool trifecta, Mm. which was the bandsaw drill press and Mm belt sander. And Mm -hmm. so
0: maybe yours is the Sile, the Pearson and the Saunders. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I still use, but Saunders, I I love Saunders stuff. What I did is you can either make a Pearson pallet that has the Saunders hole pattern Mm -hmm. or you can mount, what I did was mount saunders like uh they sell like a it's a palette that mimics a plate sort Mm -hmm. of or you could buy one of their smaller plates and mount it on the pearson Mm -hmm. so when i need to use a vice i use a saunders vice on top of the pearson Mm -hmm. and that way because saunders vices are really nice for like you can open up the jaws to be like really wide if you had to Mm -hmm. wider than you're ever going to get with like a conventional vice and you don't have to pull the pearson So I I still use Saunders stuff. I have no issue with it. It's just the reason they do that on these, a lot of high-end mills actually have that same issue with the clearance to the table Mm -hmm. is because think about it this way. If you had a vice or really any modern type of fixture or like, let's say a fourth axis, um, if the work envelope of the mill is starting at like zero at the table, then like 30% of it is wasted always. Yeah. And so they're like making an engineering decision let's move that entire envelope up six inches right. to gain you the clearance height to swing like a drill over a fourth right. axis during a tool change yeah so it's like there's a reason they do that and uh so makes just perfect kinda, sense yeah. it's
1: like minimal minimum usable travel where you're yeah. like you're not going to be bolting a piece of sheet down to your mill table yeah
0: yeah, yeah they're they're expecting you not to do that yeah, yeah they're expecting you yeah
1: never let them know your next move yeah
0: right <laughs> but i did buy a couple of long reach holders for like weird situations uh nice. just in case and you can do that but like the longer the reach the more the run out the less the rigidity like it's not right. the ideal not the ideal. situation or
1: remind me this are they it's all bt30 your your x7s bt30
0: B, bt30 on the x7 and the x5 you can get hsk on both of them okay and then the x9s B is cat 40 cat 40 like a haas right and
1: not that's not something you can choose
0: Interesting.
1: Uh, i've always had cat 40 so
0: yeah yeah x9 cat that's 40 like... um yeah there's bt30 uh the the benefit of bt30 is it helps with uh rpm um you, you can get a lot of rpm and this the motor can stop it faster it's right it's not just the holder it's like the entire rotating mass is less yeah yeah. So usually the faster, like if you look at the Haas, um, what are they called? Uh, DM and uh, the DTs The DT, are yeah. BT-30. And then you look at the like Speedios, a lot mm-hmm. of them are BT-30 because they're trying to be fast. Right. So it's, it's not all bad that it's small.
1: Yeah, um, I have zero problem with it. Uh, yeah. Again, like looking at like OMs and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. the work envelope and like the size of the part. Yeah. It makes sense you not gonna throw like some it, huge fly cutter in there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it also correlates to like uh, tool change time. Yeah. Because the faster it can stop that spindle from like 10,000 RPM, and then the faster it can get it back up yeah. to 10,000 RPM, then the quicker it can change a tool. These are things I so. have
1: never worried about ever.
0: Right. Yeah. The only thing that happens to me, like when I watch like a DT change
1: tools, is I get scared. Yeah. It right. just like, because I don't know. That arm. That's like, yeah. dude. 0 to 90 like yeah. just like flip flip I'm like that looks that's a real crash waiting yeah. to happen
0: and I will say from what I've seen the Siles are not on the level of the DT and DMs for yeah. tool change speed that's easily the biggest I would say differential where Haas wins if yeah. you're getting one of Haas's like fast fast machines right they're faster they're faster yeah but if I send you
1: middle... that last did I send you that last DT that popped up at auction mm no,
0: maybe it might didn't. have been I don't holding
1: know. off. They There's been like some good machines kind of like popping up. I watch a few, I have a few sites where I'm just on their mailing list and every once in a while, it's like, you know, shop closure, like here's mm-hmm. this floor of, you know, there's three DTs and a, yeah. and a super mini mill or whatever. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's like if I, if I was going to get a Haas, I'd be pretty tempted by the DM. Yeah. 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 Still sweet.
1: doesn't answer my question. What comes next? What's my next well, step?
0: Oh, your next step oh (laughs) yeah uh dude you gotta a good tangent you you have a pearson
1: i have a pearson you have
0: a cnc mill i do so the if you are confident in the design stage that you're at yep um here's what i recommend fusion has the tendency to be a little bit unstable because it's parametric model which means like if you have a knife blade or a knife scale that is like that was designed in fusion you have like all the sketches and elements and chamfers and fillets and radii and like mm-hmm. all this stuff fusion wants you to take that part and take it into the machining tab or the manufacturing tab as mm-hmm. is that way if you change something on it it changes in the manufacturing space right this scares me so what really? i prefer is to export the solid when you're when you're very happy with the completion of the design you export the well i would probably build the fixture first then i would export the solid of the fixture and the solid of the parts as like a step file and yeah. then i would re-upload them so that they are stripped of the timeline and they're just literally like volumes in in the program and so they'd be exactly Ooh. what you designed but without the tree and the reason for that is if there's any sensitivity with fusion about an update or like a sketch breaking, those are, it's never going to happen to your manufacturing stuff. Okay. And then that like way, a layer
1: of security.
0: Yeah. A layer, it's a layer of security and stability. And the other benefit is when you export those, go ahead and create a Dropbox folder and throw all your parts. Oh, no, dude. Okay. We're on Zoom for the first time, and it tells me running out of time because I don't have an upgraded Pro uh, account. <laughs> um, interesting. This was a we,
1: test. We've been having yeah. a bunch of problems with our our other uh, pod catcher. Is it a podcast? Yeah. That's cool. But,
0: yeah. So it says we're running out of time. Um, oh, it's 10 minutes. So how how far into this are we? I don't know. Oh, there's another one. Doesn't say. It doesn't say. Okay. We don't so we know got how ten, long we've been talking. We got ten more minutes, and then we'll have to just re-record another one, I guess. Yeah. At least now, like we, at least now we know. Okay. No, uh, we'll Let's upgrade it for next week. Sounds anyway, good. when you export your steps, your step files or parasolids of the parts and the fixture, okay. save them and just throw them in at like a catch-all Dropbox folder. Yeah. And the reason is, is that insurance policy of right. if anything ever happens to a fusion file, which is possible. Right. It's, it's somewhere like that. you, you aren't going to lose it. Um, and so the, the way it works for me is if I needed to change something to a part, I would be changing it on the parasolid version by adding like a sketch where like something needs to change a little bit. Interesting. You know what I mean? Okay. So you're
1: using that as your base. Well, this actually, this actually brings up a great question, which is one of the things that I want to go over with you is where where I can make changes and like at what point cuz I I will continue to mess with this mm-hmm. forever. And so what I'm trying to force myself to do is is not do that and instead start a new design and just just repetitions, mm-hmm. right? But that means that I have to stop the current design. I have mm-hmm. to say this design is good. I would say 99% chance as soon as I make one, I'm like, okay, I want to tweak this. Yeah, I obviously have some concept of things that I wouldn't change, but I'd be, mm-hmm. I want to run it through you to kind of see like, ooh, yeah. finish this thought a little bit better or like leave yourself flexibility here. Yeah. And it sounds like it, it maybe actually sounds less critical. Like I have the design. I like the design. I have multiple 3D printed. All I'm doing with my life is 3D printing. Mm-hmm. currently have two in front of me. Like I know what this feels like. And this is one of the beautiful things about working in solid modeling versus like working from sketches and 2D CAD.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I actually know what the knife feels like. Yeah. But that's an area where I'm like, I don't want to yeah. build fixtures and then decide I want to change.
0: Yeah. So that's the ultimate trap. What I can say about fixtures, it depends. There's a million ways to make a fixture, but every fixture is going to have some sort of location geometry. It's going to have a pivot, a dowel pin for a pivot hole. It's going to have holes for tabs, shoulder bolts. It's going to have something like that. You need to be smart about what you're going to use for the location and think that anything that I change is not going to, going to involve changing these things. Right? So for example, on my fixed blades. I have the location feature of the lanyard hole. So yeah. the lanyard hole is a precision element that can never move unless yeah. I want to remake a fixture. And the blade touches um, across like sort of the bridge of the nose of the blade, like towards the tip, comes yeah. up against a pin. So if, if I know which the hole and which line is contacting that pin, I can change anything else. Just not those two things. Just not those things. Yeah. And that's this is another reason to export as parasolids is that if you're tweaking on a design and the fixture was built with some sort of link to your design and like let's say you have those uh, locations let's say you have like a platform that a knife sits on to give you like 3d access Mm -hmm. if the design gets tweaked and something moves the fixture is going to populate with that movement and then the problem is you may not know it until you go and run like a program Right. And so if the fixture especially is like divorced from its own timeline and it's like just a solid body, then if the, if the part got manipulated accidentally in your cam window, you're going to look at it and you're going to see that it doesn't align with the fixture. Right. And the fixture, it didn't just populate to adjust to that part when in the actual fixture in the machine is still the old version. Right. And then you run into the problem of like, okay, what changed and by how much and how did that happen? And then and I then just tracking
1: it back. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. I don't know if you have this, but like when you start designing, it's so easy just to kind of like get rolling, like forgetting to save is like a great example of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all know we should save. Yeah. It's super easy just to start clicking around and then you're like 15 changes in and you're like, wait, what That's the beauty of the constraints and making things I've tried. I've basically been trying to like make everything, give it like a, a controllable way to change, like angle of the pommel. Is there a way that I can like constrain that to where I have adjustability of it. Mm -hmm. But I thought the same thing around fixtures where I was like, man, if, if, and when I make a mistake with a constraint, and I don't know that it's like changing my fixture That's the stuff that freaks me out Mm -hmm. because it, it really is like your downstream decisions. Like this problem that I had today, like a projection broke. I don't know why it broke. I rebuilt the projections, but all of a sudden my scale. So when I go to save it, it's gone. And I'm like, I I've spent four hours trying to figure it out. I worked through a bunch of it, but that stuff freaks me out. And as you're into a real project, like, that gets scary to me yeah yeah
0: yeah i that scares me a lot and that's why so i'll have a folder that is i call design so like inside of let's say the lt5 a folder for design that's got like the scales the tang hardware whatever i'm like literally designing then i have a, a folder called fixture build yeah which is i'm going to put that part on a pearson palette And I'm going to design the Pearson palette with constraints that are projected from the designed parts. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously necessary because you need to have all your location features. You need to have clearances. Those are kind of designed in, in unison to like, so that the part makes sense on the fixture and vice versa. And I, then I cam the fixture, like in the manufacturing space, based on that assembly. I make the fixture based on that. And around the time that I'm making it, before or right after, that's when I export that fixture. And then I have a new window, which is like the actual manufacturing setup window, where the only parts that are in there are ones that were those exported parts. Yeah. So let's say I let's say I was like, oh my gosh, I need to change this design such that I do have to make a new fixture. Mm-hmm. You go to your fixture build folder, you change the part. To have okay, the lanyard hole needs to move. It has to right. Then the then the fixture is going to adjust itself through those constraints. Got it. Then you remake it and you export it again, and now you have a new stable version. Yeah. But the the version that is that you're using to manufacture is never linked to the design.
1: I I do something similar with my current process, which is like I have whatever model. Like you go in and it's tuna. There's a file that is basically that entire design, all of the sketches, like my background canvas, like here is the design. Okay. Then I have a separate machining, you know, file basically Mm -hmm. in there. I have the, the details that allow it to be machined with whatever fixturing I'm using. And like right now, like I, I consider it like prototype level. So I use a lot of tabs. And I Mm -hmm. use some like lollipops and indexing pins, right. And like shoulder bolts and stuff, Mm -hmm. but none of it was made. None of it has been done to be like making multiples. And even in the time that I've done that, like there's, there's jobs where I look at, I'm like, I could do this more accurately. I know I could, I just haven't built the next fixture. And so Mm -hmm. as, as I'm switching complete like systems, I was like, okay, here's the things that I can see that makes sense. But I just realized like machining practices and like file practices. It's so deep. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. and I mean, this is like crime, like don't do this stuff by yourself. I mean, like obviously everyone has to do some stuff by themselves, but like, if you have a resource that you can pull yeah. on and learn faster and shorten your curve, do it.
0: Yeah. Process right? reliability from the yeah. get go. We have less than a minute. Okay. So, let's wrap this up right now and let's just re-record. Splice so it. splice. Yep. All right. We're back. Sorry guys. Nice. Smooth. Yeah. Trying to do our free trial, uh, parasitic, um, business practice here. We should probably yeah. pay for the services <laughs> we're using. Yeah. Finding it to work very well
1: though. I, yeah. I don't know if it's on your end. Like the app, the audio actually sounds better.
0: It does. Yeah. So far you guys, my dad's podcast, they started using zoom. And now we're starting to use it. I think it's better than Riverside, which surprises me. But Mm -hmm. here we are. Here we are.
1: All right. So we were talking machining practices, next step for this Kihan fixed blade project. So basically, next step ultimately is, is to start to design fixturing it's like file management and fixturing. Is that kind of Mm -hmm. where you would go? Mm -hmm. So you create like, okay, putting a pin in it. So at that point, do you never go back to your like origin files to make changes to the design? And if you do, is the, uh, that maybe doesn't work. Is the other file connected like you would with like your component files
0: currently. So like I said, you, with, you have your design files in a design folder, you have your fixture build folder. So mm-hmm. those are gonna be linked and they're gonna okay. be that all the trees are gonna be there, all the timelines. So you're gonna design the part and the fixture sort of going back and forth because to me, like a part should be designed in a way that it goes on a fixture well. And sometimes you need to see it on a fixture to understand like, oh, I need a tab right here. Uh, It's going to make more sense if this chamfer is this deep or whatever. Um, So design the fixture and the part sort of like in parallel once you get to like that 99% range of completion. And then after you're very confident that that this is going to work and confident enough that you're going to actually machine this fixture, that is when you kind of, put the line in the sand of like, I'm done changing this design. And then obviously you're going to have to come back. But the ideal situation is that the changes you have to make mm-hmm. can be done in cam only on Got it. these separate files. If it's so dramatic that it's like, I have to go all the way back to the top that sucks, but such is the nature of like building fixtures. Well, and,
1: and part of this, part of this is new process. I don't think will require as many iterations. Mm-hmm. That is huge. So in my brain, I'm like, yeah, but I have to tweak this. and Like, I have to go make changes. Like, that seems cumbersome to, like, go these steps. But in reality, it's not because I'm already so much further down the, the design process than I was before. I, like, the previous way I did CAD and CAM felt like an extension of hand making to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at best, I was going in, like, laser cutting profiles, which even that, like... Even as recently, like the first turn, uh, kind of design files I was doing, I was I was just laser cutting those because I hadn't figured out the solid modeling yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: By the end of that, it started to like click a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So inside, okay. So basically, we set that up, and then like I guess Pearson Palette probably has like you can just like upload a file, probably. Yeah. That, go to right? Pearson's
0: website. Go to support. And then scroll down to downloads okay, and download the whatever Pearson MPS is what we have. Yeah. And it's going to come in with both palette sizes that they offer, the big one and the small one. Oh, cool. And so whichever one you're not using, just delete it. yeah. And then keep that, like I said, in the fixture build folder and start modifying it directly. And then every time I need to do this again on something else, I just re-download it and put it in the new one. So it's like in I don't have... One right some i don't have like some main source file i would i would try to avoid having over connected files like yeah you know what i mean like the spider web should be as simple and linear as possible not like a giant if it
1: makes sense
0: yeah yeah
1: it's funny it's still doing this now like process wise a lot of it feels like hand making a knife Mm -hmm. to me like the way like i go from a sketch i'm doing like i extrude my tang like it's like you are getting to a shape and then you're modifying materials. Mm -hmm. It's just a different way of looking at it. The other thing that I'm seeing that it's really opening up is I love to do variations on models. This becomes like a very fun way to do that. Like Mm -hmm. I love doing different blade shapes. I love doing different like handle, you know, textures and profiles and stuff. The ability to like, just take a drawing and start tweaking on the thing that already exists Mm -hmm. is pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, But I am bogged down. I am bogged down in the details. And this, this is like an ADHD thing realizing it now where I always would struggle like with change. So like changing to a new system, my brain just like overloads because I look at like every possible potentiality and try to like solve all the problems. And I'm, it's like little tiny details will just fully roadblock me. Mm. And so that idea of like, well, okay, so I have this. Do I do it all in this file? Do I, I just need like, I need to see it done one time and then Mm -hmm. it like, Oh, okay. Then it clicks. And it's funny. Like even I'm noticing now, like there's small changes I'm making to the process, like my design process from like what I learned from you initially. And then, areas where i'm seeing not like yeah i don't i don't even really know how to explain that but just like just my like minor ways of seeing like how things come to shape or like the order that i do things that is different from what you do and i think that's Mm -hmm. pretty fun Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, this is this is a great way to bounce back and forth if you had to guess so if you like when you think about a project if you have a knife that is done in cad how far
0: into your project do you feel that you are if when it's finished when the design and cat is finished but no yeah, fixtures done, done
1: design no fixtures never run apart
0: uh well there's a difference in a fixed blade and a folder totally so we'll start with that if we're talking fixed blade it's probably 25 percent of the way done <laughs> kind of where my <laughs> that's less. like
1: that's yeah. where my gut was yeah and depending on the design it's not like a necessarily like time-wise like this at this point is preferential changes like i am i am making design decisions ongoing Mm -hmm. so that extends the timeline yeah from this point from a cad standpoint if you have a fully completed knife where are you do you think percentage-wise in your cad because you're going to fixturing and then cam but like
0: in in terms of like energy invested into the fusion side. Yeah. uh, I would say getting the design done is the majority of the fusion time for me. 75%. Yeah. Yeah. The fixtures are, because I have like a good uh, like system and I, and my feeds and speeds, I can like, the first time this is not necessarily true because there's a lot like what RPM, what feed, what tool, like, but now that I have a given strategy, it's pretty quick to go and like design a fixture around a part. Right. Um, But what gets you is, so things like uh, scales, especially if it's 3d machine, particularly the, a good like 40% of the design of the scale takes place in cam Mm -hmm. because how you machine a 3d surface is going to drastically change what that part looks like and what it is. Right. And the model is only like a guideline as to what the tools are right. going to do. Yeah. Um, so it's like, are you doing a crosshatch? Are you doing yeah. step over? Or, or are you yeah. doing more a topographic? Or are you doing golf ball type pattern? Like, right. are you trying to go fully smooth with it? Like, yeah. there's just so many ways that I would say on the scale, after I have like the ergonomics of a 3D print, there's the majority of the like head scratching is happening in cam in of cam. like, not necessarily how can I get it done, but how can I make it unique? How can I make it special? Right. Like, there's a lot of art. Well, and
1: where, where to again, this becomes like the interchangeability thing. So, like, okay, I have this scale. This is the shape. This is the basic, you know, contour, but I want multiple textures. Yeah. My, I started to kind of break down there where I was like, wait, do I do this? Do I do this in the design, you know, field or is this a cam? cam. For sure, and, and I reached out to you and you're yeah. like, yeah, no, do your textures in cam. And so like, I'm looking at, it, I'm like, well, I can kind of extrapolate like, okay, so I'm going to do, I'm going to do this with tool paths, but it's different than what I've been doing. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm very excited to like, see that. And I think that once, I think a lot of people in a way, look at CAD and CAM as like the CAD side is your design. And then like you go and you go to CAM and you like make the part. Mm-hmm the way that you're using cam and the way that I'm seeing cam in this context, it is still a design tool.
0: Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It is not just functional. Let less so on like the tang of my knives because it's, it's two dimensional. Yeah. Um, But like the scale. Oh yeah. Like I, what I actually do is if I'm modeling a scale in the very beginning, I will jump into cam occasionally like right there because fusion just lets you just jump into manufacturing and I'll throw a tool path on it that I'm kind of like thinking might work and not worry about any of the feeds and speeds and just start playing like okay step over quarter inch right and because sometimes it's like the shape of the scale is going to work better with a certain tool path and you kind of want to see so sometimes the actual design portion I'm just spitballing some cam at it and I'm not keeping that because that's supposed to be done downstream with like a totally separate model like i said right but sometimes if you go and like you're, you're just using it as a testing tool as a test right? but yeah. it's
1: but it's visual and that's yeah. the thing and then you could go and you could 3d print that yep and see if you like the ergonomics of Which the texture I, like is it too yep. rough does it is it weird in your hand yeah you see, can see this dude this stuff it it really is still it's magic it really it's is so fun it yeah. really is fun yeah and it's making oh, more tools possible. Let
0: me let me tell you this: <laughs> the trifecta we spoke of—fusion, mm. oh, Pearson, done, style, yeah. For the and wind. a 3D printer, yeah, and th- yeah, four,
1: it's a a 4 <laughs> yeah, the four corners. Yeah. There you go. Right? That's that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, incidentally, I'm gonna I'm showing you this just because I got excited about it. I'd never yeah. printed anything with like two materials. Nice.
0: That's so, so fun. Did you just pause it and, and then feed in yeah. another spool? Yeah. yeah. That's um, sweet.
1: But, you know, I was looking at it and I was like, man, if you wanted to model, like if you had a, a handle with three dimensional contours. You could break up the layers of the handle or layer, layer of the scale tripping over my tongue um, and basically mock up like a G10. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Not great on a Prusa pretty easy on a carbon x1 bamboo bamboo yeah yeah on the bamboo yeah i got it on my list it's on my list yeah
0: too many things on my list
1: i only need to do one more design before i'm allowed to buy it
0: yeah i uh got tricked the brain i got so close to buying one a while back and i was like you know what i'm about to move shops and there's some hardcore spending about to happen so i'm gonna hold but I, i gotta have one just mainly for me the speed because one hundred percent, my problem is I'm fast with CAD. Yeah. And I get like to where I'm on the finer details of a design. And I'm like, this should be like a little bit thicker. And then I make it a little thicker. It takes me five seconds. Now I wait an hour or two, three, four hours, yeah. depending to print. And I'm like, oh, I don't like it back. Yeah. And it's like back. three second design change, four hours of wait time. Yeah. First world problems, but still the the uh the bamboo is like five times faster or something crazy yeah
1: no for and especially for the way the way that we're using the prototyping element I mean that between these two designs literally there's one has a different radius yeah, on yeah. the end of the pommel and like a slight angle change but I I don't know what it's gonna feel like on the screen yeah yeah that's a, each one of these is a total of two hours it's like an yeah. hour for the scales an hour for the
0: tank yeah.
1: If you can shave that down to 20 minutes.
0: Yeah. It's huge. Your iteration time is the the shorter the iteration loop, the better. That's for sure. And the 3D printer is the main part of that. So, yeah, I got to get one. I got to show you something, though. Wait on me. Speaking of scales that I spent forever designing, probably the most intensive design for ergonomics I've ever gotten into, this LT5 3D printed scales. I'm holding it up. Sorry, it's not a video. I know, guys. We're working on it. It's got a bevel grind on it. I've got a actual finished knife tank for the LT5 with 3D printed scales on it. Hasn't been finished, finished, like, but the actual machining is done. Um, I'm very excited. The rest of the batch is getting ground right now. And I'm happy with the ergonomics finally. And I wanted to feel it on a real knife. I like it. So I am currently working on scale fixtures for this knife. And I want to do a YouTube video. So nice. Keep your eyes out, guys. Dude, I can't wait. That's just what I need. God, this stuff
1: is so fun. It really, it's like starting over in a lot of ways. I hope I hope that I can keep this rolling through like out my working lifetime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What a gift yeah. to do, to be like in the middle of a, of a career and to be able to find a related technology, capitalize on it and like basically become a beginner. That's
0: That's the key. That is wild. Yeah, that's awesome. Same for me, dude. Yeah, this dude. whole machining thing. Like it was the missing piece of the puzzle for yeah. me for so long. And it's like I almost I knew that was true, but I didn't realize now that I can take what I'm doing and go beyond the 3D print like with immediacy. Yeah, it, oh my gosh. It's like a it's a bigger iterative loop than just the design part. But that grand iterative loop of like the manufacturing be a part of it is amazing. I love it.
1: Were you were you doing design work before you had I mean before you had a 3d printer or or the question should be oh, yeah. how long were you doing design work before long time. you got a 3d printer
0: five, at least five years i uh, was going
1: to ask if machining was like a huge paradigm shift in the way that you designed but if you had a 3d printer i don't think it would have been as
0: serious i'll say this though right out of the gate when i was designing i was having 3d prints done by yeah. boise state university and we literally And it was like early enough in the 3D printing game where like, it was normal to pay a university to 3D print for you. (laughs) And
1: I have one of those. I've got, I've got a 3D print from the university of New Mexico. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that was like super normal. I remember the first time I saw that machine was on a campus tour when I was like a senior in high school and they showed me it. And it like the first time I'd ever seen a 3D printer and it was like a hundred thousand dollar three SLA resin 3D printer that like looked like it landed from outer space. Yeah. The idea of 3d printing and ad- additive manufacturing. It takes up half a room. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. It's like throwback to like 1968 IBM. <laughs> like, know. yeah. And it's crazy how fast that went, but yeah, we would pay them. And it was funny cause they would give us 3d prints that were like white and they were so opaque, yeah. like pearlescent that you couldn't see anything. It just looked no details. Yeah. just Yeah. So we'd, I'd plasty dip them real quick. Oh, that I have a bunch of like old designs that are plasti-dipped SLA prints from Boise State. So that was the original, but the the iterative loop on that is trash because it's like send it off, pay like $200 yeah. and have to 8 days later you're like, "Oh, sweet." Uh well that kind of sucks. I'm, I'm kind of broke. Do I want to pay $200 so, yeah, again like for another rapid prototype? Yeah. Yeah. So quote unquote. Yeah, so the 3D printer I ended up getting ended up being a huge game changer but dude you know what's fun about it um
1: i i think a lot about like the like legacy, shop legacy stuff and there there's an element of making anything where when it's fully hand controlled it's really relatable and it's it's teachable mm-hmm. so when i say that i mean like you can bring your grandma in and show her what you're doing and she's gonna understand it mm-hmm. you can bring your six-year-old in and he's going to look at it and he's going to understand it, or she's going to look at it and understand it as you get into like CAD, cam, CNC, it becomes a lot less tangible. Mm -hmm. Right now in my shop, the two areas where I feel like the kids can actually like connect best is the forging side, right? And 3D printing, mm-hmm. but it, the forging is like so direct. Cause you're like, hit this until it turns into this. Yeah. Or like yesterday I was reshaping hammer handles just for, so they feel different. And I'm like, I'm just using a rasp, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not like modeling it. I'm not doing something. I'm not like putting it in the machine and it's disappearing. It's like Bo can stand there and he can see what I'm doing and he can, and he can ask, Hey, can I do that for a minute? And I can say, sure. Mm-hmm. Or like hold this component. You're not, I'm not having him hold the keyboard, right? Yeah. Um. He could push the big green button. But the 3D printer opened up the tech side to that same process. He's obsessed with Harry Potter. And so he'll come out and he'll be like, hey, like, can we, I want a lightning bolt necklace. Cool. We go into Fusion. We design mm-hmm. the lightning bolt. We go to the 3D printer. We print it since we did that first one he'll come in and he'll be like hey uh i want to print my friend grady a lightning bolt necklace so he's made like three or four of these things now i have them like we'll go and be like all right like how do you want to size the chain how do you want to cut it and what i realized i'm like just that one tool opened it up in the way for me that it like hand making does i i just think that is very cool yeah it is it is absolutely
0: uh my daughter delta she's turning four in a week i bought her a couple of rolls of filament in some fun colors oh nice and we're gonna start out maybe go on thingiverse and like do a little shot a little perusing see if there's anything catches her eye and then i think if she connects to that start like what do you want to design you know what i mean she's four so what do you want to
1: change
0: it's exactly they
1: can do it though that's Mm -hmm. the thing I was going to ask you, because I I didn't know if this is something that you'd ever tracked and a Google search probably answers my question. But like, is there is there like a kid cad at this point? I feel like there has to be. Hmm. Like very Uh, limited. There is Minecraft. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Minecraft. Not wrong. Yeah. I thought you were going to hurt some feelings and like throw (laughs) out.
0: No, no, different It's called different Rhino.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh yeah but like thingiverse that's great and like it brings it i don't know i mean even maddie was like hey i have i have oh, i forget what it is it's like a like a little face cleaner thing like a like a vibrating like ultrasonic cleaner exfoliator whatever yeah right and she's like oh i hate that this just like lays on the counter and she's like, I found a 3D. I found a file for a 3D print. Can you make this for me? I'm like, absolutely. Yes. And you just realize like you, it's like this little micro factory.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're wonderful. I, I geeked out there for a minute. Oh, I, I, I get love it. it I love it. The fact that people have become numb to 3D printing so quickly is is I get it. But it's like, oh, my gosh, it's like the power of the world in our hands, you know, for it, the creative like anything,
1: mind. it's it's. It's how you apply it.
0: Like Mm -hmm. none of what we are doing
1: is create, you know, it's like, you know, we're not rocket surgeons. Like there is a level of skill, but I think, I think a lot of it really is how you apply Mm -hmm. the tools. Right. And that's why like, you see, do you know, Ty goo is, have you ever heard that name? So Ty goo is a maker. He's still around. He in the nineties, there was like this, this movement towards like neo-tribal bladesmithing. And there was an organization that popped up around it. And like, it's no power tools. It is, it is a lot of uh, like indigenous techniques from around the world. Um, I mean, he's like, he's down in Arizona. He's cool. like smelting black sand and like oh, making, wow. you know, iron ore. And then Jeez. like doing tomahogany, like crazy stuff. That's where's Where cool. was I like going with that? What were you we just talking about?
0: We were talking You're about really 3D excited. printing and the power. And where you totally gone? When you said black sand, it just reminded me of centering. Yeah, 3D, basically 3D printed centering. I don't know. I, don't I, think that's I really have gone, but... I have absolutely no idea where I was going with that concept. That's all right because it's a cool story,
1: dude. But talking about tie like the the movement from making right. So like you were you were talking about how 3D printing can is like lost at this point where you're like people are just like, oh yeah, whatever. It's like 3D printed. Mm -hmm. The the I think the transition between like different groups making things, moving forward and backwards. Like they were they were moving, I think the neo tribal thing part of it was that they were moving away from some of the technology and some of the styles that were coming out around forging. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're in our side, we're also hitting some of that where you have, you have people that are like super interested. You have people that come in with a preconceived notion. Cause they're like, Oh, I see people using CNC and I see people doing uh 3d printing. I'm going to do it this
0: way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That was and, a messy thought, but well, I know what you mean. It's like any force has an equal and opposite opposite right. force. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're it's, the traditional versus progressive push back and forth is there in all technology and all art, I feel like.
1: Yeah. For it's sure. Why,
0: like it's why Yellowstone is like the most watched show right now, in my opinion. Right. You know what I mean? It's like it's not really accurate of like the old time West, but it's like there's that longing for that and <laughs> funny talking yeah, about three D. I just painting. listened to a
1: pod about the Yellowstone effect.
0: Yeah. In Montana. Oh, my dad talks about it all the time because <laughs> All of his friends are ranchers. He's a saddle maker. All of his friends are like bit and spur makers. They all like, everybody just became like overwhelmed with like new interest, new, from, new money orders. Yeah. New from people with literal new money that are like, you know, let's get all cowboy. So it's a big, it's big, <laughs> so yeah. interesting, man. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, bugs me so much that I, I had, I was going somewhere with it and literally just like vapor
0: anyway, such is life. that's how it goes what else um i don't know how where we're at but i think we're at an hour
1: (laughs) i don't know either man yeah that was a fun one it we've been having problems with video it's actually really nice just to be able to see like an unfrozen video with like properly timed facial responses
0: yeah i feel like this has improved the the feel agreed the ability to just talk so I hope you guys uh, kind of picked up on that, but we will continue to use zoom and sorry for uh Riverside, but maybe yeah. it's not the way it is what it is. Sorry. Yeah. Whatever. So, all right. Appreciate, p- appreciate you guys on Patreon as always. Thank you. Thanks for continuing. Thanks for all the rest of you listeners. Thanks for coming back. Hopefully every week and uh, listen to us BS a little bit. Send us questions. Yeah. Give
1: us topics. Mm-hmm. Let us know if there's anybody that you want us to interview. Mm -hmm. Anything. Sounds great. Go make some stuff. Peace. Later.